They that love beyond the world cannot be separated by it. They that love beyond the world cannot be separated by it. This is a continuation of a reading of The Eye of Faith, a history of Ohio Yearly Meeting Conservative by William Tabor. Part 1, Chapter 1, The Early History, 1775 to 1821. To the first friends in the new lands of Ohio, the Quaker subculture of which they were a part was so powerful and so cohesive that many of them referred to the Society of Friends as simply society. Just ten years after Ohio became a state, it was possible to establish a Ohio yearly meeting. Indeed, so powerful and persuasive and cohesive was this society that as soon as a Quaker pioneer family had made the hard, tiresome journey to Ohio, the Quaker system was already waiting, able to sustain them through their membership in a distant yearly meeting. Society saw to it that friends who emigrated into the Ohio Territory carried with them a certificate or transfer of membership by which they might become immediately attached to the nearest meeting. If they came without such a certificate, they would be urged by local friends to send for it. Thus, for the thousands of friends who moved into western Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, and beyond in the great Quaker migrations, involvement in the fabric of society was never broken. The national and even international character of society accounted for the fact that the new Ohio Lee meeting of 1813 convened harmoniously with two or three thousand friends, most of whom had been complete strangers to each other just a few years earlier. This melting pot yearly meeting included at least a few members from almost every eastern state, as well as the majority who, especially in this early period, came from the south. The first record of this westward expansion of society into Ohio is of Thomas Beals, a minister who traveled with four other friends to visit the Shawnee Indians in 1775. By the time he returned to Ohio in 1782, new meetings were flourishing in western Pennsylvania, where Baltimore Yearly Meeting finally established Redstone Quarterly Meeting in 1798. Thus, the monthly meetings of Redstone Quarter, particularly Redstone Monthly Meeting and Westland Monthly Meeting, became the funnels through which Quakerism moved into Ohio. By the time Thomas Beals died near Chillicothe, Ohio, in 1801, there were already more than 800 friends in Ohio, and several small unofficial meetings for worship must have already been held in that changing wilderness. About 1800, friends began coming to Ohio in great numbers, particularly from the South, where sometimes most of the members of a meeting would decide to emigrate as a group. One such meeting, the former Corsan meeting, followed the common practice of coming through one of the meetings of Redstone Quarter, in this case, Westland Meeting. There, they rested for a month or two, deposited their certificates of membership, and then moved on to cross the Ohio River near Wheeling, West Virginia, and to travel up a stream emptying into Bridgeport, Ohio. A few miles up that stream, they held their first meeting in Ohio, outdoors on logs for benches. Next, they met in a log cabin, 
and finally they met in a log meeting house near Coleraine, Ohio. By 1801, they were deemed strong enough to become a monthly meeting called Concord. The orderly establishment of meetings must have occupied much time for leading friends of Redstone Quarter during the first years of the 19th century. In 1807, they felt ready to ask Baltimore to create Short Creek Quarterly Meeting, which included Concord, and that meeting in turn spawned Salem and Miami quarters in 1808. Establishment of these quarters would have relieved Redstone Friends of a heavy administrative and spiritual burden, as well as relieving the Friends of Ohio of the burden of sending representatives to the distant quarterly meeting. The early records of Salem meeting indicate that nothing was taken for granted as far as society was concerned. Although any group of friends might meet for worship at any time, as certainly they must have done when on the trail or after arriving in sites of their new homes, they were apparently not permitted to hold a public meeting for worship without approval of a monthly meeting, and later of a quarterly meeting as well. Such permission was by no means automatic, for indulged meetings, as they were called, were not permitted unless the monthly meeting felt there was sufficient weight and strength among the attenders. When permission was granted, it was only for short periods of time, a year or less, on the assumption that perhaps the indulged meeting should become strong enough to become a preparative meeting, the smallest unit of the official Society of Friends. For example, in 1807, a Salem Monthly Meeting Committee appointed on the request of Friends on the Mahoning reported in writing as follows. We attended to our appointment and had a favorable opportunity with them in a collective capacity and were drawn into near sympathy in regard to their situation. Yet, we're united in believing that there was not that weight that is requisite for holding a public meeting for worship. Eight months later, the request was renewed, and this time the little group was permitted to begin holding public meetings for worship under supervision of a monthly meeting committee. The growing fabric of society in Ohio after 1801 soon included other monthly meetings, each of which generally included several preparative meetings. Monthly meetings, of course, had to be established by the quarterly meeting. Until 1807, that quarterly meeting was Redstone. Here also, nothing was taken for granted. Monthly meetings were not established until the quarterly meeting was satisfied that the new unit could safely be entrusted with spiritual and administrative authority. In a similar way, the establishment of three local quarters in 1807 and 1808 by Baltimore Yearly Meeting was a recognition of the strength and order of a melting pot Quakerism scarcely ten years old. Evidence of the care extended by superior meetings to the new and growing units of society, even under wilderness and pioneer conditions, perhaps especially under such conditions, can be found in Salem Monthly Meeting's frequent failure to have its nominations for elders approved by Redstone Quarterly Meeting of Ministers and Elders between 1806 and 1808. Another example of Quaker caution is the action of Salem Monthly Meeting, regarding Sandy Springs' request for, quote, establishment of their meeting for worship, unquote, and for a preparative meeting. At first, the committee appointed to consider the request reported, quote, they have sat with friends there, 
but have thought it might be best to have another opportunity with them, which is concurred with, and they continued. Unquote. The next month's minutes show that the committee was still uneasy. They were, quote, united in sentiment to report that they were easy their request be forwarded to the quarterly meeting, which, this meeting, not feeling quite easy with at the present time, have, on due deliberation, have thought to leave under the care of the meeting another month, unquote. By the next meeting, however, quote, this meeting unites in forwarding their request to the quarterly meeting, unquote, which probably delayed at least three months before granting the request. A final example of caution and waiting for a large measure of unity is the process of establishing Ohio yearly meeting itself. The practical necessity of founding a new yearly meeting west of the Alleghenies must have occurred to every friend who made the long journey back to Baltimore yearly meeting as representatives to Redstone Quarter, then of Short Creek, Salem, and Miami. The first request for a new yearly meeting came from Redstone and Salem quarters in 1810. Baltimore considered the request and continued it until 1811, when Salem, Redstone, Short Creek, and Miami renewed the request. This time, Baltimore sent information about the proposal to Philadelphia and Virginia yearly meetings, asking them to send a few friends to aid the deliberation the following year. In 1812, a committee of the yearly meeting, having met with representatives of other yearly meetings, recommended the creation of a new yearly meeting, and Baltimore Yearly Meeting accordingly authorized the quarters west of the Alleghenies to meet in 1813 in the capacity of a yearly meeting. The fabric of the Quaker subculture was now firmly established in Ohio and was now, through its own yearly meeting, coordinate and equal to Quakerism anywhere. The historic first session of Ohio Yearly Meeting took place in early September at Short Creek Quarterly Meeting House, about a half a mile from the growing Quaker village of Mount Pleasant. The women occupied the building. The men held their solemn sessions on plank seats under the roof of a commodious horse shed. Through epistles and visitors bearing official minutes, they felt themselves accepted and bound into the larger body of the society, and from their parent Baltimore, they received a grant of money and 100 copies of Baltimore's Book of Discipline, which they adopted as their own. These were distributed by direction of the yearly meeting so that every local meeting could have a proper number for its officials. It is perhaps significant to later developments that Ohio may have been the first new yearly meeting to be handed a completed, printed discipline at the moment of the meeting's birth, and that this discipline was carefully distributed as the constitution for local officials to follow scrupulously. One strand of this original yearly meeting has always regarded the discipline as a closed revelation, a printed book not to be tampered with, even as late as the major revision of the discipline in 1963. This first yearly meeting also showed its unbroken solidarity with Quakerism by affirming its testimony against slavery and war, and it had affirmed Friends' separateness from the world in this minute. Quote, In regard to the commotions which are in the world, be ye wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Friends are urged to take no part in the political concern and to avoid the expression of sentiments in relation thereto. Unquote. Typical of other yearly meetings at this time, and typical of some for many years to come, 
the newly formed Ohio Yearly Meeting devoted considerable time to a study of its own inward condition. After the queries had been read and summarized, a carefully written minute of a page and a half summarized the meeting's concern on the state of society concerning the weakness and deficiencies among us. From this time on, the word deficiencies seemed firmly rooted in the Quaker language of Ohio Yearly Meeting. It often appears in Minutes of Exercise, written to summarize the annual consideration of the state of society. In 1813, the Minute of Exercise cautioned against tailbearing and detraction, and even from expressing opinions so strongly as to harm unity. There was the plea for plainness in dress and address, which would be heard for about a hundred years to come, at least in the Wilburite branch. Finally, an understandable concern for the frontier was that, quote, the general round of business or things of a temporal nature are the principal things conversed of in families, unquote. There is evidence that even before Ohio Yearly Meeting had been established, the Quaker machinery for controlling, inspiring, and upbuilding the society was already at work in spite of the difficulties of frontier life and distance. For example, as early as 1806, preparative meetings were visited by monthly meeting committees concerned with establishing friends' schools. Such committees reported to the monthly meetings which sent the information on to Baltimore Yearly Meeting, probably at the request of Baltimore Yearly Meeting. It is likely that most monthly meetings had at least one school by this time. Salem reported two. Another example of how a yearly meeting at Baltimore could reach deep into the American frontier, not merely to set up society on the accepted pattern, but to exert pressure to make it alert to the evolving concerns of the day, can be found in Salem Monthly Meeting Minutes from 1801 to 1811. Each year, an extract from Baltimore Yearly Meeting concerning temperance was read and usually acted upon as the following minute demonstrates. Quote, the extracts being again read and the weighty matter they contain being brought into view, also a committee from the quarterly meeting being present with a minute from the quarter on the subject of spirituous liquors, the whole of which claiming attention was weightily spoken to. Unquote. A committee was appointed to attend the particular meetings, quote, with the extracts and afford them such assistance as they may be enabled, unquote. Early in 1908, quote, parts relative to spirituous liquor weightily claimed the attention of the meeting and after a time of solid consideration and feeling and affectionate remarks, unquote, they were referred to preparative meetings. Nine months later, quote, the preparative meetings informed that they had paid attention to the subject of spirituous liquors and that there were no retailers, distillers, importers, and not much unnecessary use made thereof that they know of, unquote. A year later, that, quote, we appear to be clear of vending and distilling, and in a good degree clear of the use of that article, unquote. After the establishment of Ohio Yearly Meeting, this evolving testimony made a slow progress at Salem, as it did, no doubt, in other monthly meetings. In 1814, a committee reported that one friend, apparently, could see nothing wrong with grinding grain for distillation, 
1826, Salem Quarterly Meeting informed Salem, which had requested advice, quote, Our discipline prohibits our members from distilling arduous spirits or in any wise aiding therein, even for medical purposes, unquote. The development of this concern can also be traced in the minutes of the new yearly meeting, which in 1813 notes that support for abstinence was gaining ground, although there were deficiencies noted in all accounts. In 1814, a yearly meeting committee proposed that quarterly meetings, quote, labor with such as make use of ardent spirits, as drinking and harvest, with those who are concerned with selling or grinding grain or furnishing fruit or other materials for that purpose, unquote. And even those, quote, furnishing vessels to prepare or hold, unquote, or those, quote, conveying to or from market, unquote. With such scrupulous attention to every detail of involvement in the production or use of alcoholic drinks, the yearly meeting had to labor for about a generation before evidence of deficiencies in regard to this testimony ceased to be reported to the yearly meeting year after year. The evolving concern for abstinence, however, was only one faucet of the busy life of Ohio Quakerism during the first 20 years of its existence. A study of any monthly meeting record during these years would show the wide range of concerns local meetings had to deal with. For many years, monthly meetings dealt with a steady stream of membership certificates, both coming and going. Frequently, meetings had to supervise the establishment of new meetings, indulged or preparative. During this period, every monthly meeting, if Salem and Middleton's records are typical, often had several requests for marriage pending at any one time. There were frequent applications for membership, and each had to be given careful attention of a committee which might meet with the applicant several times until its members felt comfortable to recommend membership. Such recommendation was never taken for granted. For example, in 1822, Salem Monthly Meeting reported, quote, the Joint Committee to visit Eunice Heacock reported they think her not in a suitable frame of mind to become a member which being considered is concurred with, unquote. Early monthly meetings also carried on a spiritual administration of a less pleasant kind. Just as each monthly meeting session was likely to have its transfers of application for membership and its applications for marriage, so it would also have several cases of discipline before it. One of the most common problems was called marrying out. In a few cases, the offender would find a way to condemn his error without condemning his mate, and so be reinstated if the committee could report that he had shown some tenderness or other satisfaction. However, not all incidents could be so harmoniously resolved, and scholarly studies have shown that marrying out was the principal cause for disownment in this early period. Other causes of disownment before 1827, including swearing and fighting, paying muster fines or joining the militia, excessive use of strong drink, betting and horse gambling, striking a woman with anger, fornication, not attending meeting, and joining another society, etc. That such very transgressions of the rules of society and the consequent painful breaks in relationships caused some careful thought quite early, as indicated by two minutes, 
The first is about a report of an 1818 Salem Quarterly Meeting Committee about, quote, the subject of outgoing in meeting was brought up by Middleton Monthly Meeting. Parents should keep an open freedom with their children. A contrary, austere course of conduct of those who have young under their care tends to sour their minds and alienate their affections, placing them at such a distance that their counsel is insufficient to restrain them from a frequent familiar intercourse with those not of our society, which paves the way for outgoing in marriage. And in addition to this, the practice of keeping company throughout the night appears to be among the causes which are calculated to lead out of society, and whereby many in the bloom of life are betrayed into difficulties which are sorrowful and lasting. Unquote. This report urges, quote, United labor for a reformation of conduct in both parents and children, and that parents may make way for suitable opportunities of social intercourse which may be more honorable and orderly, unquote. A second example occurred in 1825 in Salem, after a young woman excused her marrying out on what she called her remote situation from friends. The committee, which had been appointed to labor with her, was accordingly concerned to visit, quote, those of our members who are remotely settled from our meeting, unquote. A month later, they reported, quote, we have had an opportunity with most of them, and found most of them in some measure sensible of the loss of being so distant from meetings, and several of them expressed a desire that the time might come for them to be nearer. But we believe an increasing concern for them would be profitable. Unquote. It must be added, however, that most disciplinary action did not result in such careful, thought-provoking advice. Almost the whole range of human affairs came before a Quaker meeting at some time or other during this period. In the minutes of our typical meeting, Salem, for example, we find in 1815, quote, the interesting subject of friends making their wills while in health coming under consideration, a committee is appointed to encourage and assist, if necessary, friends in making their wills seasonably and suitably, unquote. By 1819, the Salem meeting had acted with dispatch in disowning several abscondent debtors. In 1822, the meeting apparently acted upon a concern for the support of an elderly couple in the meeting. The monthly meeting was informed that the couple's son in Philadelphia was willing to support them, and the meeting appointed a committee to hold the deed of a farm and other matters in trust on the behalf of the elderly couple. By 1819, Salem had officially dealt with the needs of its poor members on more than one occasion. The welfare of the Indians was another concern of friends in Ohio. The Shawnee Indians at Wapokanita, Ohio, were of special concern. About 20 years before friends established their own boarding school at Mount Pleasant, they had a standing committee in 1815, which, in cooperation with friends from other yearly meetings, set up a mill and soon a school at Wapokanita with one or more friends present to teach Shawnees the art of agriculture, supervise the mill, teach school, and so on. Until this group of Indians moved west in 1832, the committee often gave a full and detailed report in the early meeting. Even after the Indians had moved away, Ohio's committee forwarded money to a committee of Indiana yearly meeting which carried on the work within its large territory. 
Frequent letters to government officials on behalf of Indians are also recorded in the minutes during these early years. Another Quaker issue soon tested in the New Lands was pacifism. As early as 1807, Salem Monthly Meeting had appointed a committee to, quote, collect and adjust the sufferings friends may sustain on account of the military law, unquote. For many years following this, sufferings for non-performance of military duty were reported almost annually. After the yearly meeting was established, lists of the value of goods seized in lieu of the fines or fees that friends, of course, would not pay for their non-performance of military duties were sent up through quarterly meetings to the meetings for sufferings. The value of goods taken was sometimes more than twice the amount of the original fines, according to an 1830 report to the meeting for sufferings. During the War of 1812 and the years immediately following, these seizures were especially severe and sometimes illegal. In one case, a house, mill, and 80 acres were seized by agents who promptly sold them to their friends to pay off the fine. Fortunately, the friend in this case, John Webster, was able to get a judge to restore his property. In 1815, another friend had to be released from illegal custody by a writ of habeas corpus. However, the meeting for sufferings in 1822 cautioned friends against seeking legal redress for improper distraint of goods for military fines. They urged all members considering such action to consult the meeting for sufferings first, adding, quote, Should the views of our members be directed more to their private interest than to the important testimony committed to our care, should they be impatient under the suffering and be drawn into a policy incompatible with the spirit of gospel, whatever private success in a pecuniary point of view may attend the efforts, we believe the testimony will be prostrated and the sufferings of the society prolonged. Unquote. Yet another Quaker concern of these friends was slavery. By the time of the migrations to Ohio, each monthly meeting throughout the American Society of Friends had to make an annual report not only on its testimony against slavery, but also on the support and schooling it provided to any Negroes in the meeting's care. Ohio Friends soon devised additional means of showing their aversion to the slave system. In 1815, Benjamin Lundy of St. Clairsville gathered many Belmont County Quakers and others into what was called the Union Humane Society. A few miles away, in the beautiful town of Mount Pleasant, site of the early meeting house and a small center of culture and industry, Charles Osborne, a friend's minister from Tennessee, began to publish The Philanthropist in 1817. Benjamin Lundy began his own paper in Mount Pleasant, the genius of universal emancipation in 1821. Eliza Bates, a weighty friend who may have printed the above papers, having established a press in 1817, printed his own anti-slavery paper for a time. Some years later, a free produce store was established in this Quaker center so that people who wanted to boycott the slave labor economy could buy things like sugar, tape, cotton cloth, and molasses produced by non-slave labor. Perhaps inevitably, this early and vigorous extension of the testimony against slavery would lead to tensions within the Society of Friends in Ohio and elsewhere. The official records of the Society remained silent on the Underground Railroad, which ran through eastern Ohio, 
and certainly the official statements of the society in Ohio would never sanction friends joining with other people in anti-slavery societies. Still, the record is full of appeals to state and national government concerning the condition of free colored people under Ohio law, as well as continually decrying the conditions of slavery itself. The Meeting for Sufferings carried on extensive correspondence with North Carolina Yearly Meeting concerning its labors and sufferings, and Ohio Yearly Meeting for a number of years encouraged its members to send money to help North Carolina friends relocate freed slaves. It was through just such peculiarly Quaker means as these that a religious subculture without any hierarchy, in the usual sense of the word, and without any evangelistic commissions or church extension boards, was able to transform a horde of Quaker pioneers from the north and south and east into a yearly meeting which extended its spiritual authority from western Pennsylvania through Ohio and into Indian Territory to the west. This sudden burgeoning of Friends meetings and the Quaker life bore all the marks of Quakerism elsewhere. All the essential testimonies and methods were there. Certainly, a very important additional factor in the cohesiveness and ability to act in concert was the constant bloodstream of Quaker ministers circulating through all parts of the Quaker subculture. Thomas Beals was only the first of a number of men and women stirred to leave farmer business home and family, to travel into the new, undeveloped country in whatever direction the Spirit chose to lead them, and to let pour from their mouths whatever they felt the Spirit wanted them to utter. But their society had devised the means to ensure that these were not rootless wanderers or merely wordy enthusiasts. Most ministers traveled with at least one companion, usually chosen or approved by the monthly or quarterly meeting. Nor might a Quaker travel as a minister without a minute from his monthly meeting, a minute which had to be endorsed by his quarterly meeting if he felt drawn to travel outside his yearly meeting, and by his yearly meeting if he felt drawn to leave the country. These voluntary unpaid travelers, some of them traveling during the bitterest seasons of winter in order to be at home during the farming seasons, found that their minute releasing them to travel opened the way to hospitality and fellowship throughout the early years of Ohio Quakerism, even in the hard-working pioneer settlements. Whenever a minister appeared bearing credentials, special meetings for worship could be quickly arranged, and they were specifically also open to non-Quakers. These meetings would be repeated until the minister felt relieved of his burden so that he might move on. The service of these men and women extended far beyond the new life they brought to each meeting, far beyond their communicating to these meetings something of the currents of Quaker consensus. They were often people of great gifts, deeply interested in the world around them, often genial companions when not under the heavy burden of a message which must be delivered. In addition to giving their spiritual messages, they must have promoted interests in schools, literature, and other details of Quaker culture. The traveling ministers also provided models for the young to admire. Many of these tireless travelers felt called to visit in every family in certain locations. The most important part of such a visit would be a silent meeting, during which the minister would unburden himself of anything which seemed required of him to deliver. Some ministers had a special gift of speaking to states, that is, speaking about the actual spiritual condition of the people present. 
and so they preferred to go into a family visit with no advance information about the family in order to feel completely free to speak whatever came to mind during the meeting or what was called an opportunity. Thus, even on the frontier, the searchlight of the gospel could be directed into every home through such family visits. Joseph Garriston, who lived at Concord from 1802 to 1811 and at Barnesville from 1811 to 1820, had heard 60 traveling ministers during those years. He had heard another 46 up to 1828. Of course, many ministers were included among those thousands of friends who moved into Ohio during these years, and they soon began to leave farms and families and businesses for short or long periods in order to obey the call. Most often, they were called to visit neighboring meetings or to visit families in their own meeting. For example, two years after Salem became a monthly meeting, it had issued four traveling minutes, two for travel among friends in the East and two for travel to Short Creek Quarter and its subordinate meetings. An example of how local ministers might feel a specific concern can be found in Salem's 1822 Liberation of Joshua Lynch. Quote, A minister in unity with us, to pay religious visit to the aged and infirm, and to those who have lost their companions and remain in a single state within the compass of this meeting. Unquote. In 1810, at Salem Monthly Meeting, a minister arrived with a minute from Midland Monthly Meeting, 15 miles away. Salem records the event, quote, Our beloved friend John Heald opened a concern to visit in a religious way some, most, or all the families of this meeting, and to appoint some meetings also, which is united with, and he left at liberty to pursue his prospect as truth may open the way. Six men are appointed to assist or conduct him through the various neighborhoods. Unquote. Later, the minutes show that quote, friends appointed to attend John Heald in his late proposed visits informs that he has visited all the families and one appointed meeting to satisfaction. Unquote. Of John Heald, Middleton Monthly Meeting could record after his death in 1841. Quote, he visited nearly all of the meetings of friends on this continent, and some of them several times, unquote. Short Creek Monthly Meeting said the same thing of Jonathan Taylor, 1768-1831, who died in Ireland after four months and 2,000 miles of travel in England, Scotland, and Ireland. It was apparently the custom for the Meeting for Sufferings to appoint a few friends to see the embarkation of a minister liberated to travel abroad and to Quote, call on the treasurer for the amount of expense, unquote. The question of financing such journeys was, however, a difficult one. In 1821, Salem Monthly Meeting tried to send up to the yearly meeting, quote, a concern arising in the minds of friends that no part of the yearly meeting stock may be applied to the purpose of bearing the expenses of friends in the ministry, unquote, even while acknowledging that many yearly meetings had in fact set up funds, quote, in order to encourage poor friends in the ministry that right concerns might not be impeded, unquote. Salem believed that, quote, this has given uneasiness to many friends who believe that, quote, he who putteth forth will go before, unquote. The minute states that early Christianity had no such funds, and it warns against such a practice, 
Quote, Verging towards priestcraft and entering the wilderness, we as a people have found it necessary as light has arisen to alter certain points of discipline of ancient date to real advantage of society. We therefore request that no part of our yearning meeting stock be taken in any way to bear the expense of those in the line of the ministry, lest the good intended thereby should prove a blast instead of a blessing, and we lose our testimony against hireling ministry little by little, for which our ancestors so deeply suffered. Unquote. Thus early do we find evidence of that earnest, perfectionistic desire for pure Quakerism, which was to play such an important role in the Gurney-Wilbur tensions in Ohio yearly meeting, and which was an important element in the Wilburite temperament. By the 1820s, Ohio Quakerism was a thriving part of the larger society of Friends. It had long sent its ministers to the South, East, West, and even to England. Its members had visited Indians within its territory and had encouraged schools and other aid for them. Dozens of Quaker schools had been established in local meetings, and the yearly meeting was talking about starting a boarding school. One sign of the apparent maturity of a hall yearly meeting, as well as evidence of the tide of Western migration, was that in 1821 it established Indiana Yearly Meeting, a mere 20 years after the first meeting in Ohio was held near Jonathan Taylor's tent near Colerain. The social and religious center of this thriving subculture of about 8,800 people was the town of Mount Pleasant. It was the site of the Ohio Yearly Meeting House, and it was only about half a mile from the Short Creek Meeting House, the seat of Short Creek Quarterly Meeting. Elijah Bates' printing press and bookstore and some of the journals published in Mount Pleasant before the first separation made the town an intellectual Quaker center as well. But the stability, the quiet, the vigorous pioneer serenity that emanated from Mount Pleasant were not to endure. Upon this growing civilization of peaceful Quakers along the upper Ohio, the struggles leading to the Hicksite Orthodox separation were to burst with a suddenness and violence unequaled in Quaker history. They were to shatter, for at least a century and a half, any chance for a unified Quakerism in Ohio. This concludes our reading of Chapter 1. Next time, we'll take up Chapter 2, The First Separation, 1821 to 1828. We would encourage friends to rate and review these episodes on the podcast platform of their choice. Positive reporting helps others to find our podcasts. The podcast they just heard is a production of Ohio Yearly Meeting. It was read by Chip Thomas and the audio edited by the same. The words from our introduction are from William Penn's book, Some Fruits of Solitude. The music was composed and sung by Paulette Meyer. They that love beyond the world cannot be separated by it. They that love beyond the world cannot be separated by it. Death cannot kill what never dies. 
can spirits ever be divided that love and live in the same divine principle, the root and reward of their friendship, the root and reward of their friendship, the root and reward.